Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, listeners, to the Failed Critics podcast this week, where we will be reviewing The Hobbit. I am joined by Jerry, son of Gimli. Hello. Owen, son of Aomer. Hello. James, son of Boromir. Ah, oh, that's not bad. <laughs> and I'm your host, Steve, son of Phil. <laughs> is the world's tallest dwarf just, just an abysmal joke to start off the podcast really and yeah, so before we get on to reviewing The Hobbit which we will be doing a spoiler alert for it will tell you when we're doing that James has got some site news yeah um, it, we, we, the site turned one this week yay um, somehow it's made it to a year um and there's a rather kind of gushing and emotional Gwyneth Paltrow acceptance speech-esque blog post from me on there, um, which kind of thanks these guys here for um, like the shit that they do. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, we've got a load of Christmas films. Uh, we've got the 12 days of Christmas films going up at the moment. So if you've had the first four of those, you should go up and look at those on the site. We've got some... Some changes coming in the new year, but nothing major. As Alan Partridge would say, um, we are That's news to evolving, me. but we are not revolving. That would be that would be the way I'm looking at it. We're looking for new writers as well. Um, and finally, because uh, I want to let everyone else, uh, we've got the end of year poll coming up. So anyone who's listening to this, if you've not voted for the Fell Critics end of year poll, you can tweet us your top five films of the year to at Field Critics and use the hashtag FC poll, um, or you can go onto the site and click on the section which says Failed Critics Awards and you can vote there. Um, and talking of awards, I noticed The Guardian gave Ted the number two slot uh, in their best ten films of the year this week. Well, you shouldn't when be I such a snob. Out, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I called The Guardian out on this and I got called a film snob by The Guardian. Ooh, yeah. Exactly. Or more specifically, by one person who writes for the Guardian, their chief, their chief critic, and he, he is speaking on behalf of the Guardian. Don't ruin my moment, Steve. <laughs> I've, I've in a year I've gone from a complete senior to a, to a film snob as as accredited by the Guardian. So I'm quite happy with that. Um, Ted as number two film it was fucking joke. It was just shit. <laughs> it's just I'm. I'm I'm currently trying to work on a piece which talks about the fact that 
I know film is a bit, film opinions are opinions, but do you know what? There are some facts, okay? And t- it, it, I can scientifically prove that Ted is not the second best film of this year, okay? I, I, it can be proven with science, I'm trying to at the moment, but it, it's just not. I, I've, I've got, I've documentaries and all sorts of other foreign you know what I mean? Foreign films that make yeah. them look really intelligent. If they wanted to stick a mainstream film, they should have been the Avengers or possibly Skyfall or um, oh, yeah, something that's not fucking Ted. I can easily just scientifically shit. prove it, it wasn't the second best film of the year and wasn't that funny. I laugh, yes, I laugh more watching The Watch than I did watching Ted. So, there you go. There you go. There's science for you. That is as close to film science as you're going to get. Yeah, we've just gone all Brian Cox on your asses there. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, but yeah. So yeah, there's stuff coming up on the site. You should read it um, <laughs> if you don't already. That's, and 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 um, the um, tonight recording our last two podcasts before our big end of year special. Where I'm going to get hammered. I've, I've already decided. Yeah, I'm going to get so drunk while we do our end of year special. I'm so excited. So what? Because what... I don't get drunk very often. <laughs> No, you're never drinking while recording. <laughs> uh, what date are people expecting the next few podcasts then? Obviously, they okay, know when this so one's out because they're listening to obviously it. Obviously, they're listening to this one, so they, they know when this one came out. Um, and then we've got a Christmas triple bill where we all choose our three favourite Christmas films, and I'm going to try and get that out for um, Christmas Eve. Nice Christmas Eve. Family listening. When Go go home to your parents and say, I've got this amazing thing been listening to recently. Uh, it's, it's a fail critics podcast. They're going to talk about the three favourite Christmas films. Just play it around the fire. I, I, was, yeah, I was thinking more for people's commute on Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, no, or Boxing no, Day. Or just when your family just become intolerable by about yeah by about yeah, the Queen's it. speech. Just yeah, I think so we should just it. kick it on over Christmas dinner. Everyone just yeah. remain silent and listen to us talk about the Hobbit <laughs> <laughs> Christmas films. <laughs> Sounds perfect. Um, yeah, shut up, Grandma. We're listening to the Fail Critics podcast. Yeah, They've got some interesting points to make about some uh, Bosnian Christmas films. Oh, <laughs> I, I haven't. Actually, oh, what, I... what did they? What did they say about Ted? Did they say they liked Ted? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then our big review of the year will be out hopefully on New Year's Eve. I'll be out on New Year's Eve. Hey, <laughs> I, I won't. I'm old. No. Uh, grumble, grumble. Paying too much for drinks and taxis. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Right. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Bringing the toe down a bit. <laughs> it's, it's gone a little bit grumpy old man, hasn't it? Sorry about that. So we're not doing a what we've been watching this week. No, just no. Not the fact that I watched Life of Pi. You're going to have to read that on the site, I'm afraid. Yeah. And The Hunt, um, which was set at Christmas, but is definitely not a Christmas film. But yeah. So no, it's it's all Tolkien stuff tonight. Yes. So The Hobbit, starring Martin Freeman as Bilbo Baggins and Ian McKellen as Gandalf, returning to that role, and well, it tells a story of um, how do we explain it? Fourth, a company of fourteen, twelve dwarfs, a wizard, and a hobbit who has to go and free a. Uh, Dwarf city from a dragon. Just need to bear gold. Yeah. Do you know what? That's that's actually better than the Ian Holm narration at the beginning, which tells you exactly what happened. 
It's not, of course. Right. Ian Holmes, a lovely right. actor, and he's got a lovely voice. Uh, and I did that was one of the bits in the films I actually quite liked. But anyway, yes. Yeah, so before we get on to the actual film, did yeah. anyone see it in this 3D higher frame rate nonsense? I, I didn't. Did. And what did it do? Fuck me, it was weird. <laughs> it, I, I, honestly, it was... It was a really bizarre experience, and I'm still, I was a bit sleep deprived, um, so I don't know if that had anything to do. No, it just looks really odd, um, and I can't work out if I liked it or not. I definitely, I'm not going to say, oh god, it was terrible, I hated it, worst thing ever, because some bits of it actually looked magnificent. There's um, a few of the sweeping shots of the wonderful New Zealand um What's the word? Countryside. But was it, was it not filmed on location in Middle Earth? What's that? Sorry, was, it, was it not filmed on location in Middle Earth? Uh, oh yeah, no, sorry, yeah, yeah filmed on location. I, I do like how um, New Zealand are basically. They, they, New Zealand might as well just change their official name to Middle Earth <laughs> now, considering their entire tourist trade seems to be based around Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, there was one bit where there's like a man standing on a mountain, and it wasn't. Fuck me, that man really is standing on a mountain. It looked amazing. And the big, big epic shots looked absolutely unreal and fantastic. I, I adored those bits. Um, but the very, what was that, sorry, Joe? I didn't. Do you know why? Why? Because they were completely unnecessary and it slowed it down even more. <laughs> ah, I quite liked it. It's, oh, like, it's like a visual piece, yeah, doesn't it? You know, you've got yeah. all these brilliant scenes and scenery. I thought it was really yeah. nice. And, and, Are you going to do that? Speed up the talking a little bit more. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll come on to that in a minute. I'm just talking <laughs> about the technology for a second. Listeners may be able to tell Jerry's got a lot to say about this film and not not all of it complimentary. You know, um, you know this new format, James? Was it yeah. so good that you were just captivated and couldn't take your eyes off the screen and you were staring unblinking and never took your eyes off the screen for the whole thing? Uh, no, no, because uh, firstly, um, firstly, the bit where I sound a bit intelligent, I, I tweeted earlier today and said that Michael Haneke's Amour was far immersive um, because tricking the heart is uh, far more satisfying than just tricking the eyes. Okay, So I, I don't get with the arguments that um, 3D and this high frame rate makes the film more immersive Okay, because it doesn't. In fact, it's distracting in places. Um, secondly, I fell asleep halfway through it. Um, so, uh, no, it didn't hold my attention. Yeah, I, I, I had a four hour sleep and a four hour drive and then went to the eight o'clock show in like an idiot. And during a section in Rivendell, uh, I fell asleep while Christopher Lee was talking and I woke up and there was a goblin king. I was like, oh, right, okay, missed a bit here. But I can't answer that. But the, the technology, just very quickly on the high frame rate. Um, what happens is, the interior scenes and the close-ups look like a BBC production. It's weird. Everything looks like a set because it looks like video. It looks like um, Doctor Who. an aftermatch Sky Sports HD interview or something like. It just it really really doesn't look epic and grand. And even Hobbit looks like a set rather than looking. Like a kind of dreamy real life place that could exist and that that was a bit upsetting to me and it, like I say it really jolted me I was watching it 
and I couldn't stop thinking about how weird it looked rather than trying to get into the and as the film went on that effect passed um and I would say like I say the big the big sweeping shots of the scenery it looked fantastic and I'd love to see this technology used on a nature documentary I think that would be amazing um and the other bits where it really did work was where uh, Bilbo Baggins and Smeagol Gollum were met and there was the big riddle scene which is one of the big set pieces of the film um, Gollum or Smeagol is he Smeagol or Gollum at this point or is he both he's both isn't he he's both isn't he Cause he's t- and, it, and, and you do get that more pronounced than you did in Lord of the Rings these definite two identities um, and it's kind of very early on in his um, evolution of a character there but he looks incredible in this technology. I, I, that looked fantastic. And it's almost like they put all their money into making sure that bit looked good. And that was my, this my favorite bit of the film. And it was probably one of my favorite bits of the entire Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings saga. Um, so yeah, the technology in some places did work. I'm not going to say it was terrible. It was a waste of money. Um, in some places it did actually add to the spectacle. But in other places, it just made it the weird. And now and again, characters had a little... It was almost like they went into fast-forward really quickly. Also, it was really, really odd. I'd, I'd, I really would recommend, if you are interested in film, in more than just you want to go and see the latest blockbuster, if you're interested in film, the evolution of film, the evolution of the technology of film, I really would recommend seeing this in 3D, high frame rate, because... I, it almost felt to me like how people must have felt when they first saw colour film. Honestly, it was it really, really shocked me by how different it was. How much extra did it cost? Um, for me, it cost two pound extra. There's no, there's it's only the um, it, the only extra is the three D. You're not paying extra for the high frame rate, as far as I'm aware. But only certain cinemas can actually screen it in the high frame rate. So you may have, you may have to hunt around to find somewhere doing it. But I went to um, showcase Sunday evening prices, seven quid for 3D high frame rate. Can't, can't complain about that. Or just go and watch it in 2D, which is perfectly fine. And that's what I'm going to do in the next week or two. A, because yeah. I fell asleep, uh, and B, because I do want to watch it and just take it in for the mm. film. The second um, time. Before, before we actually talk about the film, is any of the four of us a massive fan of the book? just so he could get some kind of barometer. I read the Hobbit when I was about 15, mm. I think. I don't remember it very well. And I tried to read Lord of the Rings. I think I read the... I think I got through the Fellowship, but I never really got further than that. That's me. Yeah, I read, I read the Hobbit about 10 years ago. Couldn't, couldn't get into Lord of the Rings. Love the films. Like, mm. I tried, yeah, to, you, I tried I, to read books off the back of the films. I've, I've read the second two books of the trilogy because I couldn't be bothered to wait two years to find out what happened, so I actually read. And now I've just bought the rest of the books, because partly I can't really be bothered to wait two years to find out what happens <laughs> in The Hobbit. And uh, apparently the other book has got a really funny name that I can't pronounce. It's meant to be so quite brilliant. good. That's the one. That's meant to be yeah. quite good as well, and give a lot of insight into why these things are happening yeah. in the film. So I've got those, but I'm not really a... You know, it's not like Star Wars is for me. I haven't read any of them at all. None of them. Not a Hobbit, not the Lord of the Rings. I wasn't a massive fan of Lord of the Rings anyway. 
films. What don't what don't you dislike? Does not surprise me at all. Well, I wasn't like I disliked them. I just found them too slow and boring. But with The Hobbit, I had the opposite. I thought it was paced quite well for such a long film. Well, what? Talking about yeah. talking about I the pacing, which is a lot of people's <laughs> problem. It is a, it is just shy of three hours. Um, yeah. I didn't even get any adverts beforehand. We got, I got into the screen, sat down, had four trailers. I think it was Man of Steel, Jack Reacher, Life of Pi, and there was another one as well. I can't remember did now. You get, did anyone else get the Pacific Rim uh, trailer? No, I tweeted it the other day. Uh, so have you, but you've not been able to see it on the big screen yet. No. Oh man, that was showing awesome. them nine minutes of the next Star Trek film, weren't they? In, in, in IMAX, IMAX, IMAX. Yeah. 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 My sister-in-law went to see it and said it looks amazing. So. I'm not. I'm not happy about seeing the first nine minutes of the film. And then no, I don't. Wait six months. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen the first that. three hours of a film here and not going to see the end of two years. <laughs> Um, but anyway, yeah, there was no adverts, it was just four trailers and straight into the film, which I quite liked, I've got to admit, but, yeah, so three hour long film, I thought, generally, other than, not the first bit, where we were introduced to the, the backstory of the dwarfs and, and why they had to leave their home, after yeah. that, when they're dicking around the Shire in Bilbo's house for a good half an hour, and then you get what is like a Disney kind of scene of the dwarfs washing up, which is like what you'd imagine Snow White's lot to be doing. It sort of just drags in, but after that, it kicks in and it doesn't feel like it. You, you know, you're in a long film, you know, you've been sat there for a long time, but it doesn't really feel like it's been dragging on after they get out of the Shire, except for I a little would, bit in Rivendell. I would tend to agree with that as well, to be honest. And I didn't mind the beginning bit, just because, you know, it felt like putting on a pair of battered old slippers or a cardigan or something. I was like, I, I actually hadn't realised until I started watching it that, actually, do you know what, I'm, I'm quite look, I'm quite looking forward to being back in Peter Jackson's middle air. And then you fell asleep. You know, I, I, and, yeah, that was tiredness. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Rivendell always bores me a little bit. Elves up on their high horse. Ah, oh, then elves piss me off. Um, but I, I was thinking, yeah, I part of me really wants to see what Del Toro would have done with it. But another part of me thinks, do you know what? Sometimes I just want to relax in Peter Jackson's Middle Earth, and it, and I think this is really different from. I've heard people compare this to the Phantom Menace already. Mm. Fucking ridiculous, if you ask me. It's not. Um, yeah, even Jerry thinks it's not that bad. Uh, uh, but what I did like is it got us. I, I didn't. I thought Frodo looked weird because um, he just looks older now. Yeah, is, and it's meant to be before he stopped. Well, that, that the, 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 bit that, the bit that the bit that the bit that Frodo's in right at the start is the same day as the Lord of the Rings starts. The Fellowship of the Ring yes. starts at Bilbo's birthday party. But that, he looked that day. like he's had a drug problem for the last ten years instead of looking like the fresh faced well, person. He, he, he got into he got into football hooliganism and it, it really yes. so affected him exactly. terribly. Yeah. So. Um and and yeah, I could, that bit I was a little bit oh, do we really and I there that's one thing I think mm. Peter Jackson is a little bit guilty of is just inviting characters back just because well, yeah, he wants to see it. It's a bit yeah. indulgent, wasn't it? I mean, to have oh, the, sort yeah. of the credits only start rolling like 20 minutes mm. into the film, yeah. There's, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what I would call but, I mean, indulgent. But when I, I don't think it's not indulgent to me. 
But when I saw when I saw Frodo, I was, I was half expecting the rest of those three hobbits to turn up at some point, just yeah. like a little stick their head in the door and just sort of yeah. pop in and say hello, and that was it. They must be a bit disappointed they weren't asked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're, bring, they're bringing they're bringing back they're bringing back Legolas for the, for the next films apparently in the Lando so balloon. I so him while I was asleep. No, I, I, I was waiting for him. And he didn't yeah. Turn up, yeah. No, I thought he would. I thought he was going to be appearing in this one and, and ruining the film for me. But no, he didn't turn <laughs> up yet. The wooden yeah. person. There was another elf in it that I noticed, and I was like, "Yes, I'm glad he's in it." Yeah. Yeah. No. He had a little role, but it was like, yeah. I was glad to see Brit there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think it's worth saying though, regardless of what frame rate or how many mm-hmm. dimensions you watch the film in it looks amazing like visually i think even jerry would have to agree with that uh, visually it's it just looks stunning yeah but i yeah. i think you can indulge in in visual set pieces when you haven't spent the first 45 minutes of the film in someone's fucking house doing the same <laughs> thing and then you go to someone else's house full of elves and fucking talk telepathically really I think Jerry's really angry that we started late tonight. <laughs> you know, don't get me wrong. Once he gets, once it gets going, it's all right. Yeah. But it was just the failure to edit it. It's just like, what's the point? Um, it was just so unnecessary. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a failure. I don't think it's a failure to edit it. I just, I don't think you can accuse Peter Jackson. But I think he genuinely cared for the films he's making. He just didn't, you know, he should have locked off about half an hour. And, but he's trying to get in as much Middle Earth information, if you like, as what he can, which is why he's included stuff that wasn't in the Hobbit book, but in the appendices of Return of the King into this story, because it adds into what actually happened in the Lord of the Rings trilogy and gives you background into that. I saw an, um, I saw an interesting tweet earlier today, I'd, I'd, and I'd, I'd love to wish I'd, I wish I'd come up with this, but... Um... It is, uh, Mark Mode said that this film should have had its appendix removed, which I thought was, was quite a, a funny, uh, thing. Cause I'd, I would agree with Jerry here and say that they're probably, although the film doesn't drag like I expected it to, and I honestly expected it to drag considering it's three hours for 120 pages of a book, essentially. Um, I do still think you could shake it 20 minutes would drop out of it quite easily. So there's, there's two great films. Yeah, that'd be made into three average ones. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah, no, I, I, I think that's. I mean, do, yeah, we'll have to see what he does with the other. A lot, a lot. I think we'll get a lot of stuff in the next two films as well. Probably even more stuff that's not actually part of the Hobbit, but part of the wider Lord of the Rings universe. Mm, um, yeah, but he's, do he's we? But, but is he's he switching it to his Lord of the Rings films, and that's. That is actually one of my worries, which we'll come on to. I think, I think, you know how there was this sort of the classic criticism of the end of Return of the King, that there's an ending, there's another end. Yeah. And he doesn't quite know how to tie it all up. And fit. He's got the opposite. It's certainly not Hitchcock, is But he's got the opposite properly, and he doesn't know yeah. how to bridge that and, and make it sort of see quite nicely. And yeah. it's But you know, the problem with, you know, the classic criticism of Return of the Kings is that um, he, there's so many endings and he keeps needing to end it and then there's another ending and another ending 
and another ending. Well, this is kind of the opposite problem in that he doesn't quite know how to start it, so he takes ages to start it. You know, the first mm-hmm. three quarters of an hour of the film are just waiting for it to start, not really. There's the introduction, which is a bit of history, which again, yeah. I thought could have been done quicker. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, well, let's sit around Bilbo's house. Great, right, let's sit around Bilbo's house for about half an hour now. Yeah. It was just, uh, it could have been done so much quicker and so much brisker. But yeah. for a, a big, sort of spectacular CGI-filled blockbuster, there's not really any sort of urgency about it, is there? But no, how much no. of the book does that take up? Is that just copied straight from the a, book? Or apparent, is it kind of added it out for the apparently film? that is quite a long, dragged-out bit of the book. I mean... From what I've heard from people who've read the book and are a lot more into Lord of the Rings and Tolkien's work than I am, is that while the film does drag a bit, it does kind of replicate the book in sort of how long things take to happen. Like the opening part of the book where all the dwarfs rock up at Bilbo's house does drag on. There's a hell of a lot of dwarf singing, which we only get a couple of minutes of in the film, thank God. Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, that song got in my oh. head. Uh, that, I just want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I, that actually, I was humming that on my way out, and I kept picking up bits of it in the score as well. Um, but yeah, there there was thankfully a small amount of singing. Mm. Um, <laughs> it wasn't rock, rock of ages, put it no. that way. No, no, no. Uh, well, I was I, I was quite sort of um, worried during sort of this the start of it when each individual dwarf was being introduced individually, and I just thought, oh my god, this is going to take absolutely ages. And I mean, I didn't even realise one of them was. I didn't even realise one of them was James Nesbitt. I knew one of them was beforehand, so I kind of was on the lookout for him, and I knew one of them was Ken Stott, yeah. and he he and so I, I noticed it was him. Although he was ve- it was very difficult to tell it was him if you didn't know it was him. And I, I, I knew Richard Armitage. I knew Richard Armitage was in it, and I knew he'd been in Spooks, but I couldn't really yeah. put his name to who he was, and didn't realise he was <laughs> Thorin Oakenshield until sort of I saw some kind of rubbish T yeah. four thing with him in it. So, yeah, Richard Armitage, uh, Thorin Openshield, what really annoyed me was that he didn't look like the rest of the dwarfs. He was meant to be, you know, the king-in-waiting of this particular nation of dwarfs, and he just looks like, he just looks like Aragorn he, uh, from from the Lord of the Rings films. I didn't think he was a dwarf. That, that annoyed me. a little bit, James. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> they actually did a genuine job of at least making the others look like dwarfs. The big issue there was there was too many of them and I couldn't work out who was who and they've yeah. got no kind of Person, discerning no. features. I mean, I mean, you say that, but Aidan Turner, who I know was Mitchell from Being Human, mm. plays Kidley. He looks just like Aidan Turner. I mean, they've made a bit of an effort with Dino Gorman as Philly. Oh, yeah, yeah. But Aidan Turner as Killy just looks like Aidan Turner. He doesn't look like a dwarf at all. But it's... One thing I couldn't work out is how... Because these people aren't dwarfs, obviously. And the actors <laughs> playing the people who aren't dwarfs aren't giant, like seven foot tall yeah. people. How do you make that work? Like, how have you got Gandalf, who's a normal sized person, like in 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 the film, walking around with dwarfs, but everyone's being played by people about the same height? Well, the way they did it, so like with the hobbits and stuff in Lord of the Rings, mm. um, the famous one that they sort of revealed was, you know, when Gandalf sat on the cart and Frodo was with him. 
Yeah. Mm. Um, Gandalf's actually sat like four foot further forward. Yeah. And they just camera up and make it look sat next to him. They've not put shoes it's on them. Small or just far yeah. away. <laughs> <laughs> they've not put they, they've not put shoes on their knees and are walking around like that then. Yeah, it's just like the crankies, basically. Yeah. <laughs> That's all it is, yeah. Uh, I think, you know, before we criticise or praise the film even more, you've got to give credit to Tolkien, who just sort of created his universe in his head. Like, invented languages for fictional races yeah. of people and made such an expansive world in his own head. And, you know, the book that I mentioned earlier, the Sumerian, that one, was Silmarillion, yeah, yes. wasn't wasn't a book wasn't a book that he made was a collection of basically notes that he wrote as background for the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings trilogy that his son made into a book. It, it was just sort of notes for his story. Yeah, like yeah, how much attention to detail he put into this this world that he created. Yeah, and I hope that one day my notes for the Felt Critic podcast will be put together into a book by my children. Um, the thing is, if this um, film is as faithful to the book as I imagine it is, that I've heard it is, and Peter Jackson seems to hold it with a, a real reverence, in this book especially, it, it, it was in Lord of the Rings a little bit, but in this book especially, he does really rely on what the Greeks would call the deus ex machina, um, the fact that all of a sudden our characters are in real peril and, oh, here's a way out that someone could have used earlier and we had no idea even existed. It's, it's not it, just mild peril either, is it? Some of the time. No, no, it's serious peril. Mm, it's, it's, you know, the absolute yeah. end of the world peril. It is, um, yeah. Big and, peril. And, yes. The Matrix did this horribly. Um, and, you know, it, he's not the first person to to mm. come up with, go, oh, no, but this is how they get out of it. And mm. you go, really? Doctor Who really? seemed oh. to do it every week lately. So, I mean... Yes. But, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been a staple of Doctor Who it's, as well. It's but, in, but it's in the book, so, I mean, Peter Jackson can't really oh, do yeah, anything so, yeah, my problem, with that. A lot of my problem with this is the source material, to be honest. Um, I do think that compared to Lord of the Rings, and I think you have... I think it's fair to compare them because Peter Jackson wants us to think it's all part of the same universe and part of the same saga, so we cannot help but compare them. The problem is, far too often, something like that happens, or, oh, Gandalf's shown up again just to save them in the nick of time. That happens far too often in this film. Oh, look, dwarfs in trouble, dwarfs... Oh, Gandalf's here to save them again. Whereas in Lord of the Rings... um you felt that that fellowship could look after themselves a bit better than this lot can. Um, they didn't, in the fellowship, they didn't rely on Gandalf coming back to save them at the last minute every single time. In fact, he's missing for a large chunk of that. Um, so, yeah, that started to wind me up. And we'll talk about it in spoiler. It got ridiculous towards the end. And it's only a third of the way through the book, so I imagine it's going to continue to do that. Um, with with regard to the length of the film, obviously this one was was just shy of three hours. Is it confirmed that the other two are going to be that long, or are people just making assumptions based on the other four? And I, I think it's fair to make those assumptions. Well, well, yeah, but I mean, it's a bit, you know, oh, it's going to be two more three-hour films. He might not. It might be like, you know, he might be reasonably well edited. Maybe in The Hobbit he thought, I've got to get in the backstory to 
you know, these dwarves and Bilbo and then all these other people that they meet. I've got to chuck in this bit about the ring and Necromancer and all these things. And maybe we'll get all this out of the way now and then we can have a, a shorter films. It is indeed. It was originally filmed as two and it's somehow being stretched to three, like fairly late on the process. So uh, uh, I'm not convinced that there's going to be Maybe the last a one will be a, a 90 minute knockabout. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where, before we go to spoiler alert, then what about some of the acting performances in this film? Martin Freeman has been getting a lot of praise for his portrayal of Bilbo Baggins. Rightfully you know, so. I, re- I, I really liked him in it. Mm. Yeah. I, I thought he played Bilbo really well. My only problem with Martin Freeman in The Hobbit was that everyone else kind of, they seemed more like classical actors. Is that fair mm. to say? And Martin Freeman seemed like the bloke of the office being Bilbo. Mm. Well, I think that's a bit harsh, actually. I honestly do. The, um, the, see, uh, the speech he gave towards the end about why he was on the squad, I thought that was really touching. I thought that was beautifully delivered. I, and I think he is a genuinely brilliant actor as well. I think he is actually the heart of Sherlock, which I love. Uh, and he's brilliant in that. Um, and I think one of the best things that Peter Jackson has done with this is waiting a year, pretty much, mm. to start reco- to start filming this so he could get Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman was always his first choice, and he moved the schedules about of this just so Freeman could finish Sherlock, um, which I think shows how desperate he was to get Martin Freeman. And I really do think that works. I think he is, I think he is the perfect uh, Bilbo. And I, you actually sense that link to Ian Holm as older mm. Bilbo now as well. I believe that they were the same person. He did keep doing the same face as Tim from The Office, though, which was, that, that was kind my of... sort of problem. <laughs> yeah, I think he was sort of like. Sorry, Jerry. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's he's good, but I think I have this problem with him when he's in anything where he's good, but he's still always Martin Freeman being Martin Freeman at the end of the day. Mm. Do you know what I mean? He's not a brilliant character actor where he can completely transform himself. He's, he's more like sort of Tom Cruise, where he's, he can play different parts, but he's recognisably the actor, if that makes sense. I, I, I see your point. I just think that Bilbo is a, I think Bilbo is a Martin Freeman character. Oh, that. definitely. I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and that's I why I think the casting is right. And I think it, it maybe doesn't come across as being quite as good as it is, because it's not like, he doesn't seem like he's really stretching himself. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't seem like he's having yeah, to okay, really pretend to be someone completely different because he is similar. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but, but for a film like this, I, I'm, I'm quite happy for that, to be honest. I, I, I don't, I don't need a big stretch for my character actors. To be honest, Ian McKellen's not going at a huge stretch. Neither's Christopher Lee. Neither's Kate Blanchett, to be honest. They're, they're not, um, Hugo Weaving as, um, Weirdo elf. But yeah, but they're not. But then, but they're not in it for that long, though. They're not. Oh no. Other than Gandalf, are they really in it long enough to to get up there? Elijah Wood. Did Elijah Wood really put in an amazing performance? No, but he was a believable Frodo Baggins. I think it's part of this type of film. You don't have a huge character actor at the heart of it. The huge character actor is Andy Serkis in this film. Who Mm. again is brilliant. Again, unbelievable. Yeah. That's that's where it turns round. I mean. You know, yeah. getting up to the film. I think up till then, it's very, very mediocre, and then it, it, there's a a, a well done scene. 
that admittedly is a long scene in the cave. Well, rightfully so in that or sense. Yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah. that was worth, you know, it felt like, well, why have you spent 45 minutes in this house? And, you know, half an hour in this cave feels right, but 45 minutes in the house does not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah no, that, that's, that's fair enough. Um, the one other thing before we go, as a general point before we go on spoiler alert, I do just want to say is, one thing that disappointed me was the abundance of CGI in this film compared to Lord of the Rings as well. Um, as one example, um, Arzok, is that his name? The, the pale orc thing, the big yeah. bad one. Yeah. Um, did not look anywhere near as scary as that massive bastard orc they had back in Lord of the Rings, which was believable because it was a bloke dressed up but, but that to me was far scarier and more believable having a bloke looking exactly like that big bastard orc than a completely computer generated orc which didn't quite have the movement right um and it was the same with the um the, the goblins who uh captured them and went for sunrise and stuff like that again i remember that from the book also wasn't happy with the way that was dealt with it was dealt with differently than it was in the book there I was happy with the fact that Dame Edna was one of the goblins. Yeah, that was really weird voice. Uh, that was really weird casting. He, um, cause yeah, I thought, hang on, who's, and then I thought, oh, it's Bruce the shark from Finding Nemo. That's, that was the thing that clicked him for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was really odd casting. And, there, and also, the battle scenes just didn't have the intensity. No, I thought they were intentional. The battle scenes that, that, Lord of the Rings had because the battle scenes that Lord of the Rings had was literally hundreds up to thousands of men beating the crap out of each other on film. It's not more painful. What, in this film? No, in, no, in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, and, and when you find out that they actually knitted um, like chainmail for 10,000 people, that to me is spectacle filmmaking. And you, you can see that they've had a bit of a shortcut and done loads of the armies and loads of the fighting with that, the CGI, because... and it just doesn't feel as doesn't feel as all jaw droppingly awesome as parts it, because, of Lord of the Rings do. Because is that is that because technology's got better or more developed, so they decide they think that's brilliant. Let's do that. Like whereas with you know, it's, it's an easy comparison. It, it, yeah, it's an easy comparison to make, but with Star Wars prequels to the old films, you've got. Yoda as a puppet, you've got pretty much every alien in the cantina as someone dressed up or a puppet. And then yeah. you go to the, the new, the prequels and everything is CGI. And yeah. it, you know, is, 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 is it just them, but is it just them thinking all the technology's there now? So we don't have to get a load of extras in and dress them up. We oh, can yeah. just, it's, we can just press a button. Though, it doesn't yeah. look better. No, in my but, opinion, but, it doesn't look better. But that's better. what they're, but that's, but they're, but they're thinking it's going to be cheaper, it's going to be easier and it's going to look better. And it oh, doesn't. But it doesn't look better. That's no. what I'm arguing. I'm saying it, I'm saying weird, it looks cheaper. It looks, it looks more polished and it looks less real. Because if you film a thousand men beating the crap out of each other, that's always going to look better than computer generated men beating the crap out of each other. Because it's actually men beating the crap out of each other. That would it's always the Star Wars better. suffers from. You know, Lucas went to great pains in the original trilogy to make the world that lived in, mm. you know, there was scuff marks and, you know, the Mos Eisley Cantina was, was scruffy and, and it looked like it had a lot of people tra- traipsing in and out of it for a long time. And and the first incarnation of Middle Earth was very much along those lines, you know, the same yeah. way, sort of alien, 
you know, Ridley Scott and, and, and saving a lot of Ridley Scott films, like Blade Runner, yeah. very lived in. And I, this, I don't once you start adding CGI. Yeah, you can't get it confused. Yeah, no one makes things look scruffy and it's, you cannot just create it like that. No, I totally agree. Did you, you lose a bit of the soul. You make well, things no. more possible. So you can, you can have a million people fighting on screen, but I'd rather have a camera tighter in on a thousand real people kick, kicking the crap out of each other. Yeah, I, mean, I think, you know, the CGI, it, where it works is like Gollum, for example, mm, which, yeah. you, you know, it looks just astonishingly good. There yeah. is no way you could and just you have a man dressed in a suit. Exactly. You couldn't do, you couldn't do that without the CGI. I do think they could have done some other bits without CGI, and they used CGI as a shortcut. Should we go on to spoiler alert, or else yeah. we'll be here all night at this rate? Um, <laughs> so, spoiler alert, don't listen on if you haven't seen the film, or read the book, or basically you don't know what happens at the end of this film, or the book. Quickly, overall verdict. Yeah. Quickly. Yeah, yeah, just for those who are going to drop out at this point. I, yeah. I actually enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I think I think it's worth watching. It's definitely worth watching, and it's got the potential for the rest of the trilogy to go by the better. Now they've established what's happening in the background and who it is and all that, or it obviously could go absolutely tits up. But you know, yeah, it, I it, should point out that I, I am planning on watching this again. I am, yeah. My frame of mind will be different, and I'll enjoy it more because I love Lord of the Rings. Yeah. It's made me want to watch Lord of the Rings again, which I've not watched mm-hmm. for seven years, and it's act- I'm actually quite excited about watching those again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's what I, my feeling of it is, because I said earlier I wasn't a, a huge fan of Lord of the Rings in the sense that I got really into the world and I wanted to read the books to make sure I got in before mm-hmm. the next films and so on and so on. But with The Hobbit, it has made me think, well, maybe I should give the Lord of the Rings films another go, because... It felt like a really great adventure story, and I did want to. I do want to watch the rest of the films, and I want to see what happens next. If you so, haven't upgraded your DVD of Lord of the Rings to Blu-ray, do it because it looks loads better. It's it's a brilliant upgrade. Yeah. I, I would say actually about sort of the Hobbit, whether it's twenty-four frames per second or forty-eight frames per second or three D or two D, it's one of those films that is worth seeing on a big screen. Mm. Right, so let's do spoiler alert. Don't listen on if you don't want the film spoiled for you. Um, that is your warning over. What about them eagles again then? Oh, fucking <laughs> hell. Just get the eagles from the start. Call the eagles over to Hobbiton. Say, look, can you take us to a mountain full of gold, please? Job or, done. We've got this ring. It's going to yeah. be a bit of a problem. You can get there quite quick. Above all the stuff that's on the ground, just nip us over there and we'll chuck it in the volcano. Cheers. You've just confused films, <laughs> No, I'm just saying, in the other film, why oh, did they get to do that? The other ones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, I see what you mean. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, we, that's it. If we those, wouldn't have... Gandalf's got those eagles. Mm. We wouldn't yeah. have six films, but, you know, no. it was... I know. And it wouldn't make and for a very good... the worst bit, for me, was right at the end, they drop everyone off on what looks like the peak of a fucking mountain. <laughs> Like, oh, let's just drop them off here. It's really difficult to get on and off piece of rock where you can actually see the mountain. Um, yeah, and we're just going to fly off. Uh, I did, no, I, rest of the way, please. I did, I did, um, question some Lord of the Rings nerd about this yeah. on, an, on an internet forum because it's such a common question that comes up in every yeah. Lord of the Rings like debate. Why didn't they just get the eagles to fly on there? Apparently, they're not just like animals that come at Gandalf's beck and call. They are a sentient race who do what they do, what they choose at their own will. 
but which explains to me why they didn't take them all the way to where they wanted to go in this film, in The Hobbit, because, mm. you know, it, they don't really care if the dwarves go and get all their gold yeah. back and kill a dragon. But in Lord of the Rings, if Sauron comes and kills everyone, it's going to be bad for everyone, so why not just chuck the, you know, drive over there? Yeah. Selfish. Yeah, so, sign a fucking <laughs> treaty with him, Gandalf. Let's get him involved. So, <laughs> that's, that's them dealt with. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, we've dealt with that one. Even though, uh, even though the bit in Rivendell dragged on quite a bit, I did yeah, quite like. Someone tell me what happened. Actually, they basically they basically asleep throughout that. They basically gave they basically gave a bit of background to what was happening in Lord of the Rings because of the other wizard, who not Sar- Saruman, not Gandalf, oh, the other one. Yeah, Wait, him. Wonderful Sylvester McCoy. I'm so glad to see he wasn't. McCoy he wasn't wonderful in this. He was irritating in this. He wasn't wonderful in this. Yeah. Oh, she's oh, oh, I thought he was good. <laughs> I loved his little rabbits that were on the, the oh, side. I thought that was ridiculous. A <laughs> rabbit sled. Awful. But where, but where, the part where he goes and finds the necromancer or whatever that is in the, in the witch yeah. king. Which is, which, yeah, yeah, which, which, which is, um, which is Sauron, you know, starting to yeah. rebuild himself. Basically at Rivendell, there's, there's Gandalf, Saruman, El, um, Elrond, and Kate Blanchett, whoever she plays, discussing that's yeah. it, discussing the possibility of Sauron returning because yeah. of, because of what Radagast has seen. And I quite like, even though parts of the Rivendell bit dragged on, I quite like that because it gives, you know, for somebody who's not well into Lord of the Rings, it gives a bit of yeah. background into what goes on in the future and a bit of you know the situation. And it just made me think: Is Saruman already corrupted by Sauron there? Or is he just, you know, not being wary enough of the situation? Which I genuinely don't know. Which I'll have to find out by reading stuff, which I've read yeah. before. But there you go. He was good as well, Christopher Lee. So he played it just right. You know, he's just on that edge of you don't know, like Steve says, mm. you don't know whether he's turned yet or turning or... Or if he's just yeah. not, if he's just not really clued up and he's thinking that yeah. he's exaggerating the problem, isn't he? Of course he can't yeah. come back, so... Because he's very sort of passive, isn't he, of, mm. you know, what, what Gandalf sort of requesting, he's just kind of yeah. like, oh, did you think you'd get through unnoticed and all this stuff? And... Yeah. Yeah, I thought he played it really well. Very understated kind of acting, which I thought was really good. Um, I think the, the best scene we've got to talk about without, you know, going into what well, we can now in spoiler alert, yeah. is the, the riddle scene between Gollum yeah. and yes. and Bilbo, which is just brilliant. I mean, Andy Serkis, how, how he keeps playing Gollum that well. Because mm. they're, they're motion capturing him, so not only is yeah. he voicing it, he's moving like that. Mm. That's sort of just, mm. that's his character. He's made that his own in the original trilogy and brought it back now. And it's just a fantastic performance and just the whole. He's just, just brilliant at that. I mean, it, it, did you see Rise of the Planet of the Apes? Yeah, yeah. He was yeah, again, he was just incredible. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I just... really hope at some point he gets some kind of Academy recognition. Mm. I know for mm. Rise of the Planet of the Apes, there was a bit of a groundswell of support for him to get a Best Supporting Actor nomination. Um, but sadly, everyone in the Academy is a seventy-year-old bastard, mm. um, and they they just won't. But it would be nice. It would have been nice to have seen something like the Golden Globes or someone with a bit of clout actually just give him a nomination. And say, you know, mm. this is acting. It might not be acting yeah. as we know it. 
but, but generally, when he plays himself, or what, not when he plays himself, when he plays a human, he's mm. not that good. He was supposed <laughs> to be quite good in that Joy Division film, wasn't he? Or was so, it Ian Drury? Ian Drury, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. He, he's, he's, he's a decent enough actor when I've seen him as a... Uh, I saw him in an episode of Spooks once, I think, as a rock star. Uh, I think he was in that... Was it a werewolf film or one of those... Zombie World War Two ghost thing. I can't remember. Uh, he was, he was, he was in, doing something else. He, he was, was in, just alright. He was in Birkenhead with Simon Pegg. Yes, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think he, he's alright. But it, you know, in the same way that some actors have a gift for comedy, mm. uh, and some don't. Yeah, you know, he has a gift for creating these characters, um, knowing that someone is going to kind of put a digital layer of skin over mm. him. So he can really, really... He doesn't have to worry about looking like Andy Serkis, which is no, probably a good But to move in the, the man that Gollum does, and that, you know, that's not a computer doing that. That's you no, know, him exactly. doing that. It's just, that's his skill. Mm. It, yeah, he can, he can act. Um, and he, uh, I think he started doing some direction and stuff like that as well. He's clearly, he's clearly clued up, and it helps that he's got contacts and things like that. But he's clearly, yeah, he's clearly got some acting skill but his mm. real real talent is in creating these characters and like we say Caesar was another one in Rise of the Planet mm. of the Apes he created a character that I completely got drawn in by um, but, I mean the, the clever thing he does with Gollum is Gollum is a horrible creature but mm. you know possessed by this overwhelming sort of feeling that the ring gives to its mm. possessor and yet at times not just in this film, in part, you know, when mm. basically when Bilbo turns invisible by putting the ring on, it makes you sort of empathise with Gollum. Totally. It makes you, you sort of you makes, it makes you feel it, sorry for him. It makes you empathise with sort of Smeagol, doesn't it? Mm. But then you yeah. still yeah. feel really turned away from from Gollum because he, yeah. he manages to blend the two so well. Yeah, and um, he, he's actually funny as well. They're, you know. He delivers some funny lines as uh, mm-hmm. or Gollum, um, and yeah, no, definitely. And you, 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 you know why Bilbo has the chance to kill him and doesn't because mm. we, as a viewer, we can see that and think actually that would just stab him in the back. It is, it, it's not his fault. He's become the creature mm. he is. So, which is exactly the same attitude that Frodo has towards him in the in yes, the Lord exactly. of the Rings. Um, and I think your heroes have to have that. Uh, the heroes of these stories have to have that attitude towards him because otherwise they wouldn't be heroes. Okay, mm. they need to see the the humanity, so to speak, um, or whatever race Smeagol originally is. He, is he? He's a hobbit. he's something similar to a hobbit. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. In, I remember but, in one of the one of the last two of the, the, the trilogy that Frodo says you're one of the whatever people, not too different from yeah. a hobbit. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I don't mean humanity as in he's human, but you know what what the viewer would see as humanity. They need to see that small mm. element of it in him. Otherwise, they lose their humanity. They need to stay as pure and as good as possible. One thing. Um, that, one thing that did annoy though was that in the in the Lord of the Rings film, Bilbo finds a ring because Gollum dropped it, and like he doesn't mm. interact. He just runs off with the ring. Whereas in this film it's completely different. It just seems a bit stupid. It seems a bit of an oversight on the when making the original ones. He probably always planned to go make the Hobbit at some point, 
or had that mm. in the back of his mind. So why sort of? I'd do... forgotten that actually. I'd forgotten that, Steve. But no, it's a good point. I what suppose he. Sorry. What what happens in the Lord of the Rings? Um, well, they, they show in. I think it's in the, the Fellowship of the Ring. They show Bilbo getting possession of the ring, and Gollum. Obviously, it's you know Ian Holm playing in there because he hadn't even considered Martin Freeman, but. Gollum like drops the ring and it just rolls down in the cave to Bilbo's feet and he picks it up and legs it doesn't even interact with Gollum. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Realise that. Which you'll notice now if you watch the. He's going to George Lucas it, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't happen. He's just going to digitally insert the riddle into the fellowship yeah. ring back. He's going to have to though. He's, he's made that. He's made that cross for his attempt to bear. But. Also, I've made the mistake of Wikipedia-ing um, Smeagol to see if he was a hobbit. He is a, a different sort of area of hobbit. Oh, okay. Um, they're the second most numerous type of hobbit. We're shorter and stockier and have an affinity for water boats and swimming. They live mainly on the blah, blah, blah. Don't ever go on Wikipedia on Lord of the Rings things. <laughs> it's like a full, you know, about the year TA 1050. They undertook the arduous task of crossing the Misty Mountains. Reasons for this trek were unknown. Presumably, <laughs> no one fucking ever said that. <laughs> I bet they're not unknown. I bet Tolkien didn't need anything unknown. I bet it's yeah. dig deep enough he'll find the reason he's done it. Yeah, I mean, to be fair to Tolkien, he was made. He was pretty messed up from you know his mates dying in the war. So mm. you know, it's no wonder he was like living in a fantasy world in his head. Here comes Jerry again, mentioning the war. Jerry the cynic. <laughs> you weren't there, man. <laughs> Uh, is there any, any other points before we wrap this up then? I just um, thought it was quite good. As a, it was like again. a series of mini adventures, mm. wasn't it? So the first bit with yeah. the house was, you know, it was it was a sort of mini adventure in its own yeah. right, but a bit boring, I guess. The mountain trolls bit where they've come out of the, the town and uh, out of the mountains and they're sort of around that little that little hut thing. I thought that was quite good, actually. It had a bit of humour and it, it sort of lightened the mood of the film from the, the first bit, which was dragging on slightly. And then, you know, it just came, became like a series of mini-adventures that created this whole, which was... I really liked it. I thought that yeah. was really well done, which is what, you know, about the pace of the film. I thought it was paced quite well. Uh, yeah, and like I said at the top, it was... Ugh. It was nice to be back in Peter Jackson's Middle Earth. There were flaws to the film. There were bits I think he should have done better with all my knowledge of working in the film industry, obviously. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I, I enjoyed it as a kind of blockbustery event film. Um, and I'm, I'm now less apprehensive about the next two. I was really quite dreading having to watch three bloody films about hobbits and, I, and, and now I'm not so I could, I could see, he's done that job I could see the third film personally being the, the majority of it or at least half of it being what happens between the end of the hobbit and the beginning of the, of the fellowship of the ring yeah. like being just filling in that story the, through, yeah. through the appendices of whatever and through whatever background there I could just see that being a big chunk and of that film. This is my other problem, actually. I, I forgot to mention it just now. My other problem is The Hobbit is quite a light kind of kid. It's not a kid's book as such, but, but it's quite. The tone's different between far the, the book, tone, isn't it? Um, than The Lord of the Rings. And my, my issue is that Peter Jackson is treating it 
exactly the same as Lord of the Rings. So he is treating quite a light book with the same dark overtones as Lord of the Rings. And sometimes I think it, it, that comes across quite heavy-handed. Um, but like you say, the first song they start off with, the first song you hear the dwarf sing is the really... Everyone will die. Yeah, that kind of thing. And um, and it's not, and the book's not actually very much like that. It's much more an adventure rather than a dark epic. And I, that's my, that's still my apprehension of the next two films is that he will try and make them like Lord of the Rings, and it's not. It's a very different book. I think that's all for. Us and the Hobbit. We've spent nearly an hour talking about elves oh, yeah. and wizards and orcs and all that kind of nonsense. Uh, so it's just uh, my <laughs> usual Monday night. <laughs> so join us uh, in a couple of days' time, where we move from one type of elf to another and do our Christmas film triple bill. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks to everyone for joining us, and thanks to Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com for the music. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.